What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of X Knows All. It is such a pleasure to be back sitting in the office studio with everyone today. And I wanted to touch base on why I decided to cover none other than Nicole Richie. So Emily Rose from the amazing podcast, It's Become a Whole Thing, invited me to collaborate with her on an episode that's also going to release uh, tomorrow on Monday. So I asked her, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a supplemental episode to the episode that her and I just recorded, meaning that if you hop over to uh, Emily's It's Become a Whole Thing podcast, you can listen to her and I banter about many things, including Nicole, Simple Life, uh, the early 2000s, things like that. And then this podcast is just going to be me, a normal Christy X knows all episode, where I'm going to be walking through Nicole's life from start to finish and where she's at today. So with that being said, let's get started. So in today's episode, I'm going to cover the following. First, I'm going to start with Nicole's childhood and upbringing. Then, of course, I'll cover The Simple Life, this show's origin, her feud with Paris, and ultimately what led to the show's cancellation. Then I'm going to be covering the post-Simple Life era and the style surrounding that time, and as well as the style's cultural impact. I'm also going to cover the early 2000s bad girl era, so the arrests that were happening at the same time that Nicole was having her layouts with the law. Um, specifically, I'm going to mention Lindsay Lohan as well as Misha Burton. Then I'm going to discuss Nicole's on-again, off-again relationship with DJ AM and the comments about Nicole's weight following her breakup with DJM and all the tabloid fodder surrounding young women's bodies at the time. Do you guys remember when it was totally okay to plaster a woman's weight on the cover of Star and Us Weekly? Because I certainly do. And it fucked me up. And then finally, I'm going to end the episode with her home life today and her marriage with Joel Madden. So, as it pertains to Nicole's childhood and upbringing. So Nicole is of English, Mexican, and Creole descent. Her parents, Peter and Karen, left her in the guardianship of Lionel Richie. And her father and Lionel were actually friends. And they passed Nicole over to Lionel and his wife's, at the time's care, knowing that Nicole would be better supervised under the guardianship of Lionel Richie. So not a lot of people know, why at least I don't think a lot of people know, that Nicole is not Lionel Richie's biological daughter. So it's like, it's kind of an interesting path that Nicole's taken and having come from like this family that didn't think they could provide Nicole the life that they could. And they just passed her off to like one of the biggest celebrities during that time. So the way it happened was that Nicole was her parents, specifically her father, Peter, had kind of came from this musician background. So his sister was a musical artist at the time. His nephew was also a guitarist. So he was kind of already baked into that world. So when Nicole was just a little girl, she was attending a Prince concert with her parents. And Nicole had gotten up on stage to play the tambourine alongside Prince at this specific concert. And Lionel Richie was completely taken aback by this little girl trying to figure out who who was this? Who did this little girl belong to? And she was just cute as a button. He needed to know. So Lionel Richie and his wife, Brenda Harvey, legally adopted Nicole when she was nine years old. So at that time, Nicole obviously had a lot of trust and abandonment issues naturally so since she had been tossed i guess before 
Lionel and Brenda Harvey had finally decided to pull a trigger on adopting Nicole to be like their her legal guardians. Nicole had had kind of a difficult upbringing in that she was kind of passed from relative to relative prior to her adoption. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of Marilyn Monroe. And I know I always bring it back to Marilyn because I feel like she's such an icon and there's so much weirdness surrounding her life and specifically even more weirdness tied to her death. And I feel like I could do like a four-part episode on that because I think her life isn't given enough credit to like the the iconship that she's created of what like who Marilyn Monroe, even after all these years, is still considered such an icon and so relevant even today. And like the events surrounding her death were so bizarre and still very bizarre. But Marilyn Monroe was similar in that her she was passed around from adoptive family to foster family to another adoptive family to her uncle. She was just passed around so many times and it created such a deep abandonment psyche around her and her, it greatly impacted Marilyn's self-esteem and her ability to forge a really healthy relationship with a man. She was even like quoted to say at one point that her fantasy, this is like so dark and eerie, but her fantasy was she would meet her father at a bar and he wouldn't know that she were his biological daughter and essentially seduce him because she wanted to feel wanted by the father that she never had. So like there's a lot of dark stuff to Marilyn. I'm not saying that's Nicole's story, but what I'm saying is the reason that it brings up a lot of similarities is because what that can do to your psyche at such a young age where you're being, I mean, like already the only thing that a kid needs from a stability standpoint is to be taken care of, to have food, shelter, water, and like care and nurturing from their guardian or whomever is their primary caregiver, shall I say. And if Nicole is being passed on from relative to relative, her sense of stability and security is completely gone, right? So I think that she finally felt a breath of relief when Lionel decided to care for her. And, you know, he has all this money. He comes from like, you know, Nicole really got along with Brenda Harvey. She felt finally like she belonged into a place that wanted her. But I think a lot of this abandonment issues likely it makes sense that nicole had so many struggles with addiction later on in her life so we'll get to nicole's addiction later on in the episode we'll cover all of her s and like what she what drugs she was found with and all that stuff but i think it's really sweet to point out that lionel upon actually like being signed over as her legal guardian lionel had promised nicole that he would never ever leave her and he had really had to hone this into little nicole's brain because you know, he was a celebrity. He would be gone for weeks or months at a time touring. So Lionel describes today that adopting Nicole was almost a saving grace for him as well, since he was so laser focused at the time on his career that he never really had an opportunity to truly take a pause and kind of understand and take a bird's eye view of like, oh, wow, family life is really something that's important to me. And it's not necessary for me to be on the road 24 seven, like maybe I can find peace and stability and love, not only in my career, but also in my home life. So he describes that Nicole really softened his heart when he made that decision to legally adopt her, which I think is super sweet. So I also want to point out that I think it's interesting that Nicole goes on to marry Joel Madden because you know how the saying goes, it's like, oh, you go on, a woman goes on to marry, you know, a blueprint of her father. So at a young age, Nicole was so used to Lionel being on the road and working all the time. And so she meets Joel Madden, who's also a musician. And she kind of like in interviews today, she's described herself as a like self-proclaimed masochist because who in their right mind will want that same musician life as what she grew up with when she was a little girl. And Nicole kind of responds by saying, you know, 
the musician lifestyle and like being with a man who was a musician, it's really all she's known. So that actually being on the road and being away from your family almost feels safe to her. It's just like, you only know what you know, right? You only, it comes from a place of familiarity and comfort. So I just thought that was kind of interesting to call out because I'd never thought of that kind of relationship between like the musician fathers, the musician husband until now. So when Brenda Harvey and Lionel Richie had split, they, this is when things kind of just start to take a crack for Nicole. So Nicole was so close with both of her adopted adoptive parents at the time. And when her world had kind of been stripped away from her for all that she knew of this like lovely relationship with both of her parents being together, it almost felt from based on what I read that Lionel and Brenda were desperately trying to win Nicole's affection by being yes men to her. And granted, they both have a lot of money and they have all the access and can essentially give Nicole whatever the hell she wants. And especially when you're a little kid, that's all you want is material things. You want what your friend has. You want what you see on TV. Like it's so the way that Nicole describes a divorce and the separation between Brenda and Lionel's be, she acknowledged the difficulty of growing up with so much freedom because her parents were almost trying to win her affection by giving her more than the other parent is what she describes. And she's saying, well, you know, Lionel would give me this, but then Brenda would one up Lionel by giving me that. So she's saying that like, yeah, to a kid, it seems like you're in your own little playground that you're just, you know, it's, it's Disneyland essentially, because you're never being told no, but she says it's not normal for a child to grow up with that much freedom. And she actually attributes a lot of that to kind of the way that she was able to kind of rebel and be so, be so rebellious later in her life because she was never told no. So naturally when she's getting arrested, she's like, well, this is new. No one's ever laid down the law for me ever until it's too late when I'm 20. So Really quickly, so the how can I bring up Nicole without bringing her younger sister Sophia into the mix? So the way that Nicole and Sophia are related, well, obviously Nicole is not actually blood related to anyone since she's adopted, but Lionel went on to remarry after him and Brenda had split, and they had Miles and Sophia Richie. So that's the relationship between Sophia and Nicole. So fast forward a little bit. Nicole's an adult. She's entering college. Nicole enrolls at the U of A in 1999 studying arts and media, but she was only there for two years until she dropped out in 2001. So little did Nicole know what she had coming when she came back to Hollywood, because just two years later, after dropping out of University of Arizona, she had her come up with moment where she was casted on The Simple Life, which we all know is her and Paris's both of their claims to fame. So Let's start into The Simple Life, shall we? So in 2003, The Simple Life aired, which completely changed the landscape of reality television. So I did a little bit bit of digging into like, okay, where in the landscape of like reality TV did this like slate into? So to give you guys a little bit of a picture, The Real World first aired in 1992, which is crazy. I didn't realize it was that old. Then Survivor aired in 2000. The Osbournes, 2002. Newlyweds and The Simple Life in 2003, and then The Girls Next Door in 2005. So this really paved, it was a very new idea of what reality television was. And quite frankly, it wasn't taken seriously whatsoever. It was like, I actually feel like reality TV got such a bad rap because of shows like The Simple Life, because it felt almost chaotic and kind of kitschy, and it didn't really feel serious. So I think a lot of the times when reality TVs were being turned out in the early 2000s. It just felt like kind of a comedy almost. So I think 
reality TV now, I think, is like very, dare I even say respected. I, sh- I don't even want to use the word respected because I think a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear that you're a reality TV buff, buff. But I will stand by it. If you are a real housewife stand, it means you're intelligent because only intelligent people like real housewives. But that's neither here nor there. So I think that even like Stassi Schroeder has said on Vanderpump Rules, oh, when Vanderpump started, which was like, I don't know, 2000, like, I think 2014 or something around that timeline. She's like, no one took it seriously because it was such a joke. And I think it's like the simple life probably didn't help any to create that, like to create a well-established, like serious network of reality TV because it was just, it was, it was just comedic, right? You had two super wealthy girls plopped down in the middle of rural America. No one took it seriously, but it was entertaining nonetheless. So let's talk about the landscape of the simple life before the simple life came to be. So Obviously, before the show, Paris was a well-known socialite around the cities of New York and L.A. She grew up at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City, and then she later moved to L.A. But during those times between, like, both cities, she was seeing partying, getting into clubs underage, raving, drinking, being tabloid fodder. I would actually equate it a lot to Paris being a real-life Serena Vanderwoodson, you know what I mean? Like, she lived in the Waldorf Astoria in New York City, similar to how Serena Vanderwoodson lived in the palace. She's blonde, she's beautiful, she's tall, she's thin, she's you know, the apple of every man's, like, eye. She's seen, she's a gal about town. It just makes me wonder, like, I wonder if Serena Vander Woodson was lightly based on, like, Paris Hilton. I like to ask Cecily, whoever her name is, the one who wrote the Gossip Girl books. But when The Simple Life, so, like, how did The Simple Life came to be? So, admittedly, I want to say I didn't watch the show, but my sister did. So, I understand the idea of it, and I would kind of come in and out of the living room watching it with my sister. But I guess originally the idea for The Simple Life was to move a city family to a farm. So not just like two random socialites. It was just to move an actual family to the farm. However, during that same period, socialite Paris Hilton was happening, was like around that time was um, in meetings with Sharon Klein, who was a senior VP of casting at Fox News, I mean, Fox Network. And Paris Hilton and Sharon Klein were talking about like opportunities that uh, Paris could potentially be built into. So from there, The Simple Life concept emerged with you know, Paris Hilton and a TBD other cast member to drop them off in a farm and then just kind of stand back and see what happens. So originally the network requested that Paris and Nikki Hilton both do it together. But at the time, Nikki had a very serious boyfriend who didn't like the idea of her leaving New York. Neither did she want to leave New York to just jump over to rural America. So production had to do a last minute pivot to see who else could be a viable option. And they wanted obviously wealthy. They wanted a woman who had chemistry with Paris and Paris was like, Rose or Hannah was like, wait a minute, we could just do Nicole. I've been best friends with her since she was a toddler. So that's how it came to be. So each of the girls had their roles to play and Nicole Richie's designation was to be the household troublemaker. So it's interesting because I feel it's like when life imitates art. So Nicole on the show was very much seen to be like the one who riles it all up, who stirs the pot, every, that kind of thing. And during the first, like then in her real life though, she was getting to a shit ton of trouble. So during the first year of filming, Nicole had developed this like wild child reputation that included a 2003 trip to rehab after she entered a guilty plea to driving with a suspended license and also of heroin possession. So following this first arrest, she went to court or to rehab shortly after, uh, shortly before the December 2003 debut of The Simple Life. So right before the show was about to air, she was already in rehab. So fast forward a few years later, Nicole was hospitalized in the middle of filming The Simple Life after expressing that she felt ill on set and that she needed to get um, admitted to the hospital so that they could treat her with uh, intravenous fluids to treat her quote-unquote 
dehydration. But apparently this wasn't the first time something something like this was occurring on the Simple Life set. So apparently Nicole had had multiple episodes of collapsing on set and having trouble walking and speaking clearly on set, which allegedly caused a ton of tension on set between the crew and Paris versus Nicole. It's like, I think Paris, no matter which way you swing it, I think she's a goddamn professional and from what I've heard in like the interwebs and through like discussions is that Paris at the end of the day is a very kind professional person like she definitely has her problems she's there's been like documented things where she's like said many homophobic things many racist things but I think to the public she comes across as very sweet and professional like when she's in a working setting and I don't think Nicole necessarily had that same standard or expectation that she held herself to and come to think of it it actually makes a lot of sense because when I watch Kathy Hilton on the Beverly on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills they want to portray so hard like this like guys of perfection and like just no issues everything's everything's peachy and I, it kind of probably is baked into paris's dna to be like no matter what's going on in your personal life you need to be professional and like i mean that's how they've been able to acquire a lot of wealth the hilton family because like they're dedicated workers and i think she has this work ethic and hustle i'm not saying nicole richie necessarily didn't but i feel like paris hilton knowing the family that she comes from it makes a lot of sense that she maintained like a lot of professionalism on set so it's interesting because I think during this time, it was very like much a young 2000s millennial gal to be kind of a mess on set. So cue Lindsay Lohan. And remember when she started that movie, which is literally one of my favorite movies of all time because it doesn't get the credit that it deserves. And I think it's truly one of Lindsay Lohan's best work. Like, everyone knows about Parent Trap. Everyone knows about Freaky Friday, which, don't get me wrong, those are such good movies. Like, I recently rewatched both of them, and I'm like, dude, she's brilliant in them. But she's not even as brilliant as she is in the movie Georgia Roll with Jane Fonda and Felicity Huffman. And, like, literally, this is my cross to bear. I think I've said it already multiple times on the podcast, but if you haven't watched Georgia Roll, you need to watch it. Um, so, but the reason I don't think Lindsay had a lot of credit, she didn't get a lot of credit for her time on the set of Georgia Rule. And I would actually attribute this to be very similar to Britney Spears and her Blackout era. To this day, I think Blackout is hands down Britney's best album, but it got absolutely no attention because she was in her quote-unquote crazy era. So same with Lindsay. She comes out with this amazing work of art where she's like really portraying how far she can take her acting chops. Like she's amazing in it, but she was so goddamn unprofessional on set. So it went so far as a letter was written from the director to Lindsay that was released to the press about Lindsay's unprofessionalism on set and how she would always show up to work either still drunk or hungover. And then she would blame it on quote unquote dehydration. So Georgia Rule, the set was run by Morgan Creek Productions, and the chief of Morgan Creek Productions, James G. Ro- James G. Robinson, sent Lohan a stern letter calling her absences from the set, quote, irresponsible and unprofessional, and blaming her, quote, all-night heavy partying for her, quote, so-called exhaustion. So it's this type of thing could never happen, one, because we are, we're always attached to our phone. So even if you did see Lindsay Lohan and Nicole Richie at the club, you, they would be on their phone and it would be broadcasted to the world within literally a minute. Back then, there weren't smartphones. I mean, there were smartphones, I guess. We had cameras, but it wasn't the access and like the social media that we had today. So I think like for, from just like a normal working perspective, I don't think that these teen starlets could get away with this kind of shit because people would call them out immediately on social media. Two, I also think it's interesting that and, like, I, I'm not apologizing for their behavior. I think, like, 
if you're getting paid that much money to work, you need to show up in a clear head because other people are relying on you. It's not just the other actors on set. You have crew, you have cameramen, you have the craft services people. Like a lot of people are relying on you to show up on time. So if you're not showing up on time, like fuck you. That's like actually my biggest pet peeve. But what I'm saying is that like, I think that in today's world, it just couldn't happen. Like Lindsay Lohan couldn't show up to set drunk because she would just be called out in a minute. And she, people would be like dehydration my ass. Like you were literally at One Oak yesterday and you left at like 4 a.m. So from a social media perspective and perception, it could never happen. But two, I also think it's interesting that I never really heard about men being really like hungover or unprofessional on set. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just like reading different things, but I feel like it was always the women that were called out as being unprofessional. But like, could the same behavior be said about men? I don't know. But like, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, like if you're that young and you're partying, you're probably showing up to work hungover. But why aren't the men being called out for it as frequently as the women? It it's, it's just an interesting juxtaposition. Maybe take that. So I went on a bit of a tangent, but let's move on to Nicole's feud with Paris. So allegedly, the reason that we all know of is that Nicole had shared a sex tape of Paris Hilton at this small get-together party that she was hosting at like her house or someone's house. So I was trying to look up, well, why would Paris, I mean, why would Nicole have done that to Paris if they were so close? And so I guess Nicole had shared the sex tape of Paris post-Paris hosting SNL, and I guess Paris snubbed Nicole and didn't invite her one to the taping of the SNL live production, nor did she invite Nicole to the after party. So Yes, what Nicole did, if she really did, in fact, show this sex tape to everyone at this party, that is grounds to, like, not be friends anymore. I would be livid if what, I mean, not that I have any tape out there, but if I were to have a tape out there and I I found out that my best friend was showing it at a party to get some laughs, no, 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 not cool. But then I'm like, wait, why wouldn't Paris have not invited Nicole to her SNL debut? I just feel like there's more to be said of the entire story that we don't know. And truthfully, not that I, like, not that I know either of them personally, but I don't see Nicole being a malicious person and intentionally showing Paris' sex tape just for the hell of it. Something must have happened that both of them are not telling us. And I guess, well, the, no one will ever know but them, but I will, like, I do want to point out that this was definitely during a time where it was cool to pit two women against one another, especially two women that we perceived to be friends. But, like, think about it. This was in, like, the Lindsay Lohan versus Hilary Duff era. This is in, like, you know... Paris versus Nicole like it was very much cool to put people against one another it was like we just Christine Christina and Brittany like it was just it's so much baked into like early 2000s culture to pit women against another but I feel like the reason that this is different the Paris versus Nicole as opposed to like Brittany Christina Hillary and Lindsay is that these two were legitimately close friends whereas sure Christina and Brittany were on the Mickey Mouse Club together but they weren't ever super close as they got more and more famous throughout their careers in like their late teens early 20s so i think but still i think the media certainly played up the the feud against these women so despite the feud that was occurring between paris and nicole the problem was was that the simple life was still on air so what happened when the feud actually started making press was fox decided to cut the show from its network however E realized they're like, wait a minute, we could pick up on an opportunity of these two women not talking. So E picked up the show after Fox had canceled The Simple Life. And E had made this assumption that the animosity between the 
two girls would actually boost the ratings, but they were ended up being totally wrong. People were completely disinterested in the series with the two girls separated and being on two different cameras, not being in scenes together. So just after two seasons, the show was canceled a second time. So I always bring it back to the hills and another one of my tangents, but this honestly, honestly reminds me of when Lauren Conrad left the hills and then Chris and Cavallari picked it back up. I think that MTV thought that when Laura made the decision to leave the show, they were like, I mean, theoretically, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, oh, let's bring in, you know, the bitches. Remember when they the the, the press for the, the, when Kristen came on was the bitches back? It's like, oh, we can really boost ratings when we bring Kristen back on. And like, it did bring interest to the show for sure. Um, but you have to also remember, this is when Jersey Shore first came out and like, no one gave a shit about the Hills. They're like, no, let's Jim Tan and Laundry with Snooki and Wow. Oh God, Jersey Shore was so good. Like, honestly, that type of reality TV could never be replicated ever like i will still watch old jersey shore episodes and i truly get so much giddiness from watching it you know what i mean like it puts you in a different headspace when times are simpler when we were out at the club with sunglasses fist pumping tanning on the beach. Like, it was just such a simpler time you know what i mean anyways where am i okay so i think that mtv thought that they were going to boost ratings by bringing in chris and cavallari but the show actually actually ended up doing way worse ratings were down once chris and came on it just to me it felt and as a hill stand it felt so inorganic and so not real and like i guess they later released that the whole show was fake by like the series finale but it just seemed extra fake when Kristen came on and i mean we all know today that it was fake but i think the same thing with paris and nicole like you can't deny the dynamic and the dynamic that they had when they were together. So if they're, you're basically having two separate shows with them, you're no longer able to like create, recreate that original magic that was the two of them together. So also, can we just talk about really quickly, like remember in Laguna beach, they did like season two, which was like Jessica, Jessica and Jason, like Jessica, Jason's cheating on you season, which is hands down the best season of Laguna beach ever. But then they did season three with like Tessa was the narrator and it was like Elsie's little sister, Brianna. And like, it just, nothing really came of that. Like it was such a random spinoff. And then MTV did Newport Harbor. Do you guys remember that? Oh my God. That, and like that, they really thought they were doing something, but like it really was nothing of the sort. Like no one, like no one liked it. And it like stopped airing after a season, which by the way, did you guys know that Clay from Newport Harbor committed suicide? This was like, okay, now I'm really going down a rabbit hole, but Clay from Newport Harbor, like the the hunk from the show, tall, dark, tan. He was like the Stephen Cluddy of Newport Harbor. And he was actually dating Jennifer Lawrence. If you Google J-Law and Clay from Newport Harbor, they are seen on the red carpet together. And this is before J-Law was J-Law. This is like well before she started in the Hunger Games. But yeah, he like, he tragically uh, passed away by, by suicide. This was, <clears throat> I don't even know. This was like seven, eight years ago. How did I get here? Talking about, oh yeah, just talking about how you cannot recreate original magic. And that's clearly shown with like the hills with Lauren to Kristen, as well as Laguna Beach from like Laguna Beach OG cast to like Newport Harbor, Harbor, which is like, what? No one even knows. So let's talk about the post-Simple Life era with Paris and Nicole. So it's really sad because their animosity against one another really Im impacted big moments in their lives. So for example, when Nicole got married to Joel Madden in 2010, so three years after the last season aired, Paris didn't even attend her wedding, but rest assured, luckily uh, in 2021, Nicole did attend Paris's wedding to Carter Room. So it appears it's all water under under the bridge, which thank goodness, you know. 
And I also just want to quickly point out the fashion impact that the two of them had. I feel like Paris was more of like, Paris gave the energy of like juicy track shoots, track suits, seven jeans, bedazzled sidekick phone cases, Von Dutch hats. But then you have Nicole Richie who had that boho chic. You remember she would, she would rock like the bangles, but she was so thin. Like the bangles went all the way up to like basically her armpit. She had like the flowy dresses, the free people look, like the big like bug-eyed sunglasses, the gladiator sandals, like literally i said this on emily's it's become a whole thing podcast but nicole richie walks so vanessa hudgens could run everyone's like vanessa hudgens is the coachella queen is like shut up nicole is nicole is so really quickly i'm going to talk about nicole's early 2000s bad girl era and just like the what was the climate like during that time so Classic story of being in an atmosphere with Nicole Richie at a very young age where she has access to literally everything. Nicole told Diane Sawyer in 2007, quote, I got so much so fast that nothing really excited me anymore. I kind of took matters into my own hands and was creating drama in a very dangerous way. I think I was just bored and I had seen everything, especially when you're young, you just want more. So during that same year, Nicole had told Nylon Magazine that, quote, she started off with marijuana, graduated to coke, then prescription pills, and then someone was just like, do you want to try heroin? And I was like, sure, whatever. So it's 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 crazy. It's like, I think that we don't acknowledge that there is a big heroin problem. And like, I, I do know people in my life, like immediate people in my life who have struggled with it, but it's such a there's such a stigma around heroin, but it's like, why is heroin usage like looked at so differently than like, honestly, like Coke addiction? Like if you think about it, Coke usage is far more rampant. I mean, like, sorry, Coke usage socially is far more known about, but it's like, really, it's, it's a gateway to other crazy drugs because it's like what Demi Lovato said in her documentary. She's like, I just wanted a different high. She was, I was chasing different highs. And then I always have this desire to try heroin because I've never tried it before. So like, why not? And of course it's just cheaper and it's more accessible. You can just get it easier. Just let's not, let's, let's not treat Nicole. Like she's just like a crazy person who's tried heroin. It's like, I'm willing to bet that so many more people in Hollywood have tried it, but it's just such a stigma around it that people shut their mouths, you know? So Nicole has always been a little bit troubled. So if I rewind a bit to October 2002, she was arrested following a brawl in New York City at a nightclub, but the charges were later dropped. Allegedly, she was reported to have thrown a glass, but Nicole had revealed in a Vanity Fair article four years later in 2006 that a guy, quote, a guy said I stabbed him in the eye with a glass at Bungalow 8, which is like literally so insane. Stabbed someone in their eye with a glass? So in February 2003, she checked herself into a rehab center following her arrest in Malibu, California. She was driving with a revoked license and she had possession of heroin. So in August, she was sentenced to three years probation. So I guess what had happened was she was initially pulled over because she was entering a freeway from the exit ramp, therefore traveling in the opposite direction. Plus, she had smoked marijuana earlier that day and she also had Vicodin in her system. Yikes. In 2006, while The Simple Life was still airing, Nicole pled guilty to a DUI in July 2006, receiving three years of probation. Then, a few months later, she was arrested for a DUI again that December after cops spotted her uh, driving the wrong way on an L.A. freeway. So, the particular arrest landed her a four-day jail sentence, but she spent just 82 minutes in the slammer and was released shortly after she arrived due to, quote, overcrowding. So, 
this was the climate of what Nicole Richie was dealing with. She was getting arrested left and right, getting to bar fights, just like wilding the fuck out. So Lindsay Lohan was no different. In 2007, Lindsay Lohan was arrested for a DUI. Then in May 2007, she was arrested for a DUI. Two months later, Lindsay Lohan was arrested for another DUI, felony possession of cocaine, and driving with a suspended license. What is all with, with all these people driving with no with like a revoked license? Get a driver. So reportedly, Lindsay had been stopped by police after engaging in a car chase with the mother of her personal assistant. Like what? Lindsay Lohan was so unhinged. Like she literally still is unhinged, but I love her to death. Like she's my favorite early 2000s queen. But do you guys remember when she was like in fucking Somalia trying to like kidnap those orphans that were on the street using that weird, bizarre French, Dubai, New York accent interchanged in one? Like that was so unhinged and like unwell of her so moving on from Lindsay, during this time britney was also wilding out where she was seen leaving you know this was the this was like the era when she was seen leaving bars without any underwear right and she was partying with Lindsay and and uh paris like that infamous picture of all three of them in that car like squeezed god those were like i remember one time my friend jake he dressed up as um Brittany with like he had the umbrella for Halloween he had like the umbrella he had like that gray kind of jumpsuit not jumpsuit but like the gray hoodie with like the gray shorts and then the other two friends were Paris and Lindsay just iconic so Misha Barton in 2007 was also arrested like a lot of shit happened in 2007 guys so in 2007 Misha Barton was pulled over at 2 46 a.m after her vehicle was seen straddling two lanes of traffic and she failed to signal when making a turn so she was arrested for DUI and driving without, again, she was driving without a valid license. So it makes me wonder why were arrests so common back then and they aren't as common now? So I think it's a couple things. One, I think it's attributable to rideshare apps not being as available. But then I think about it and I think if you're a celebrity who's as wealthy and famous as these women were at the time, like Misha, Brittany, Lindsay, and Nicole, they were the moment. They were, they were those girls. Why does it not make sense to just get a driver? Like it legitimately doesn't make sense to me. Like how could you... How is that never an option when you know you're going out? Shouldn't you have a sense of, like, a, D- a DD? It just, there's just, like, no excuse for drunk driving, and it pisses me off so much. I guess another reason could be, like, could it perhaps be, a tri- like, all these run-ins with the law for these young starlets at the time, could it be attributable to mental health not being an area of discussion that we had during that time? And if you could imagine yourself, you're constantly photographed, you're constantly being chased by paparazzi, you're constantly getting, like, People are degrading you on the streets. Like paparazzi are screaming things at you, chasing your car, flashing with bright lights. You can barely even see when you're driving. Like not knowing how to cope with all this attention and pressure at such a young age, where like your brain's not even fully de- developed until 25. So you're, have, you're having to deal and cope with all the attention and pressure. So you just down yourself with alcohol and drugs. drugs. It just, it seems maybe that we have more resources and toolkits to deal with the trauma that comes with being a star today that weren't necessarily available to these kids back in the day. I'm certainly not saying it's perfect today because it's not. I think that social media is a total other damaging thing of celebrity that those from the early 2000s never really had to deal with. So I think it's a whole other type of unnormalcy. But maybe I'm just trying to think of like, why was there so many arrests happening? Like It, it just seems so out of the i can't imagine sabrina carpenter and olivia rodrigo and fucking madeline klein from outer banks getting arrested left right and center you know what i mean they just seem so much more low-key could it perhaps be because of like parenting where like these girls had like stage mothers whereas the young generation gen z of today like they don't it was maybe their decision to go into fame i'm making bl- blanket statements but it's, it's something to really think about so 
let's go into uh, Nicole's relationship history. So she was engaged at one point to DJ AM. However, at the time of uh, DJ AM's death, he was he was with Haley Wood. So according to police sources at the time, um, a crack pipe and prescription fill- pills were found in his apartment in Manhattan. It was no secret that he had died from a drug overdose, which is super tragic. Um, but it's, I didn't realize how off again, on again, Nicole and DJ AM's relationship was. And I think it's, I can't talk about DJ AM without talking about the plane crash with Travis Barker. So I didn't realize when it happened, when the plane crash happened, how crazy it was. So I read this BuzzFeed article that gave all the details from like Travis Barker's mouth. And he discussed how before he was supposed to board the plane in South Carolina, he already didn't like small planes. Like he already had a fear of it. And I think it's kind of eerie because I think Aaliyah also had a similar fear when she decided to board the plane that ended up crashing. Like, she had a bad feeling about it in her stomach. And that's what they always say. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. So Travis didn't feel good about going onto this plane. And he's like, I don't know. It looks really small and kind of janky. And I guess his the mother of his children at the time, um, God, why am I like blanking on her name? Um, Shannon Mokler. She was supposed to be on the plane as well, but she insisted to Travis. She's like, I don't want to be on the plane because if something happens to the plane, I want the kids to have at least one parent. So she had this like preemptive gut feeling to stay like on land and not go with Travis. And apparently Alabama Barker, when she was just a little kid, was crying, like devastated that her dad was going to board this flight. She was like, please don't do it. Please don't do it. And Travis, I guess, was summoned to do it anyways. Like he, I think he was, he just felt like he needed to get home or whatever. So he ended up boarding the plane. And I guess what had happened on... I don't know exactly the mechanics of what caused the crash, but the plane had like dropped down and back up and down and back up. And Travis was able to escape. He like kicked open one of the uh, one of the windows and was able to fly down the, the jet wing. But I guess the jet was on fire. So he landed in like a pool of flames, basically. So he was fully on fire. DJ Am wasn't as severely injured. So I guess what happened was DJ Am took off his shirt and was able to like throw it to Travis and... Travis was rolling around to try to get himself like released from the flames. But what tra- I, like that's how traumatic it was for the both of them. And as we all know today, they were the only two survivors. So there were six people on that flight. Four of them died. Two of them uh, survived, which is Travis and DJ AM. So then, of course, just a couple of years later, DJ AM dies from a drug overdose. It feels like so eerie to me. It's like the final destination shit. Um, it's like he survived death. And then he ultimately didn't end up surviving surviving death. And, like, Travis Barker in this interview that I read, like, he discusses how deeply he was struggling with survivor's guilt and how it led to, you know, like, addiction thereafter to try to deal with the pain and the guilt that occurred. Because he said he woke up, Travis had explained that he woke up in the hospital and that he just assumed everyone had lived because he was in the hospital bed. So he's like, where is everyone else? And then, you know, they had to break the news to him that he and DJ, DJ Am were the only ones that survived. So it's just, it's so traumatic and crazy. And I think that probably doesn't attribute it all to like, to helping addiction, you know, like that's probably why DJ Am had so many demons thereafter. It's so sad. It makes me so like sympathetic and empathetic towards people that struggle with like traumatic things like this. And then they have to turn to addiction to drown out the pain. So Nicole was only 24 when she started dating him in 2004 when The Simple Life was airing. And 
They announced their engagement a year later in Feb 2005. However, by the end of the year of 2005, they had called off their engagement. And it was alleged that her late weight loss around was around that demise of their relationship. And she had attributed a lot of her weight loss to the stress surrounding the relationship, saying that when she gets stressed, she doesn't eat. And she described, quote, I had a bad breakup and it eats me up inside when I'm upset about something. She said, referring to her broken engagement with Adam Goldstein, a.k.a. DJ Am. She says, I got really stressed out and I do and I do lose my appetite, but I do force myself to eat. I try to put the weight on my weight, eating burritos, but that wasn't working. So I started seeing a nutritionist and a doctor. I was scared that it could be something more serious, but it wasn't making any sense to me. I was really trying. So I had thyroid tests and all that. I do recognize that I have a problem and I want to be responsible and fix it. And I'm on that path right now. Um, it's important that we recognize that while other people may turn to food for comfort in times of stress, others are the opposite naturally or perhaps due to an underlying health condition. Um, I think it's really important that there was a lot of people just assuming that on in tabloids and like blogs that Nicole Richie was in denial and that she did in fact have an eating disorder. And I think the truth of the matter is you just don't know. Like, yes, was her weight loss startingly very striking and quick? Yeah, but I think that I think moving away from whether or not she did or did not have an eating disorder, I think I want to focus more on the fact that the changing bodies of the celebrities that we saw impacted the generation that I grew up with immensely. Because I can remember when I was in Target and seeing Us Weekly or Star Magazine posting these really frail, emaciated looking celebrities that I looked up to that were like Nicole Richie, 82 pounds, Lindsay Lohan, 85 pounds, when is enough enough? Like Misha Barton withering away before our eyes. Like it's, it's such a different fucked up scenario because back then there was no social media, like I've said so many times already through this podcast, but then it's like you're going to the grocery store and then you're being infiltrated by these like you can't help but compare your weight against what you're seeing on these tabloids. I'm like, well, me and Nicole Richie are about the same height. So why aren't I 82 pounds? Like it just, I think it breeds this feeling of like that heroin chic look that I feel like I'm so scared is coming back that I talked about in the Sean Mila episode. But I think it deeply, the tabloids and all this speculation on whether Nicole, Lindsay, and Misha had eating disorders deeply impacted how millennial women saw their bodies. And today, you know, bodies are compared now via Instagram. It's not even on magazines. So I think when we were kids, our bodies were compared to like the thin bodies of Nicole and Z. Mary Kay who were withering away before our very eyes. And then coupled with like the weight stamped on the covers of magazines with the before and after photos, it's just like the damage that it did to young kids is all like you literally can all repair that shit. And I think it's just, it's a really tough pill to swallow because it's like no matter what they were going through, the way that the media portrayed it was so also not only damaging to like the celebrities themselves, obviously, but also very damaging to our generation. So I think now like sure, airbrush still exists, face still exists, but like luckily I'm really, really relieved that we now welcome more diverse bodies because you could never imagine walking into a grocery store and having a publication naming Olivia Rodrigo's weight as like tabloid fodder. It just would never happen today. Thank God. Um, so moving on, so Joel Madden, so coming off the heels of his relationship, his very problematic relationship with Hillary Duff, and if you don't know anything about that, feel free to jump on over to my Hillary Duff episode where I discuss her relationship with Joel Madden because it was deeply problematic. But after spending four years with Hillary, he got together with Nicole. And I feel like Nicole 
transform Joel into the man he was meant to be. Like, yeah, he was problematic with Hillary, but I'm glad he finally found his person because I feel like he and Nicole are OTP. So I think it's interesting to call it, like, without calling out Joel and Nicole being OTP, you have to just, like, at least lend itself to, like, the problematic nature that was, like, Hillary and Joel. So just really quickly, I'll touch on it. Hillary was 16 while Joel was 26, which 10-year age gap, 16 years old. Can you imagine? Like, does that shit happen today? Like, it's just, there's such a power imbalance between the difference, age difference between Hillary and Joel. But I feel like Joel Madden, I can imagine he made Hillary Duff feel more relevant. Whether or not, I feel like Hillary Duff was way more relevant than Joel Madden because, like, her stardom was just insane during that time, well above Good Charlotte, my opinion. Probably because I was obsessed with her, but he was probably this, like, cool punk rocker who had been in the business far longer than she had. And, I also think it was just kind of weird that this was around the time that Hillary lost a ton of weight. So I think she felt a lot of insecurity when she was with dating Joel. But I think once Joel and Hillary had broken up and he had gotten together with Nicole, I felt like they were just a lot more well-suited for one another. First, their age difference isn't as stark. He's only three years older than Nicole, which is totally normal. Second, I like that they took their time to get engaged. So they actually got together. They started like dating in 2006. They had two kids in 2008 and then again in 2009. And then they got married in 2010. So they spent like a good four years of like developing a relationship, having kids until they got married, which I, it's unconventional, but it's, it's, it's nice. They both talked about having come from divorced parents and how they wanted to raise their kids in a stable upbringing and they would feel comfortable to like make their marriage like a thing at the time they felt it appropriate. So I like that they took their time. I think it's sweet. Uh, Joel has been quoted to say, I think for both of us, we're going to do it because we want to know we want to, oh, sorry. Joel said, I think for both of us, we are going to do it because we want to, not because that's what you do. We already feel kind of married, you know? Our family system that we have that we have down, we feel like this is a real family. In marriage, one day it will come. And obviously it did in 2010. So Joel has said, said in an interview that meeting Nicole was like a religious experience, that it was life-changing, a cathartic event. He said, you feel this when you're meeting the person you know is going to be your wife. I guess when they started dating, Joel had allegedly begged Nicole to go on a date with him. And after enough begging, it finally worked. And Nicole said that initially she couldn't really get a read on Joel for the life of her. But she said that when they first met, she soon learned just how different he was. She's like, people look at him with tattoos and he's wearing all black. And I think the perception is the polar opposite of what he actually is. He's actually careful, shy, and very introverted. And I think it's not like kind of the case with like, I feel like most people that come across with this like really hard exterior, this really hard shell, more often are the more sensitive introverted types. Like I feel like it's to kind of present this way about you, you almost have to overcompensate for like the deep insecurity and shyness that you probably have. Um, I like that Nicole picked up on it and I like that she was kind of able to transform him him in a way that he felt was like he said, his words, religious experience. So I think Nicole Richie's success today, she's obviously like diminished a bit in relevancy, but I think that's just how she likes it. Like you look at Lauren Conrad on the Hills and like after she left that show, she was like literally never to be heard of again. She made her money. She has her businesses. She has a line of coal. She has a fragrance line. She has the little market. She has so many businesses. And I like that she just focuses on that. Same with Mary-Kate and Ashley. They reached this pinnacle level of stardom. And after it, after like, they were just sick of it. They're like, we're done. We don't want to do this anymore. We want to do things that give us joy. So they got into pursuing Elizabeth and James in the row. I think Nicole has followed that same fact pattern where she 
you know, her relevancy was skyrocketing in the early 2000s. And then she started House of Harlow in 2008. So just a few years post her bad girl era. And right after she woke up her first child, which is her daughter Harlow, which is what the brand is named after. So House of Harlow 1960s described on their website as a channel for Nicole to reimagine vintage vibes that inspire her while also staying true to her native California vibes. So I, I love that her fashion and the items that she sells and the pieces that she sells like they're approachable like they're not like super cheap but they're not hella expensive either i just like her her sustainable kind of like california aesthetic with like the gardening and just doing things for her family and weaning off in the spotlight because i think it's kind of like all of us right when we're in our early 20s when we're actually when we're in college and in our early 20s and maybe in a city for the first time living on your own it's like this magical wonderland where you just want to do everything you want to like be with everyone you want to experience everything you want to travel everywhere it's like, who could have blamed Nicole? I'm not saying that like the drunk driving and the, and the addiction was like something to be, it's not necessarily quote unquote normal, but I think I'm glad she was able to get it out of her system so that she could be like the woman she was destined to be, which is like a, a wonderful mother and a, hus- uh, a wife of Joel Madden. So I think I really like Nicole Richie. I think I'll end it on, I like what she's done. I like her body of work. I like that she's kept it low key and she seems like a genuinely fun person to be around. I think I truly think her parting days are past her, like most of us once we hit the age of 30. So I just love the life. I love the life she's created. Love to know your thoughts. Everyone, this is where I'll end it. But I do want to say, if you could please, I know I always say rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, which is like obviously a given. And you guys have been doing so amazing on the reviews. Like someone wrote me this like four paragraph thing about feedback on my Shia episode and she pointed out that there's actually a Shia LaBeouf movie that's like Gilbert Grape adjacent to where Shia Shia plays this like mentally challenged kid apparently it's called True Confessions and you can find it streaming on Disney plus but she wrote this really sweet review about how I should check it out and she liked like the different viewpoints I had about Shia about like loving his work but also hating what he's done to like people like fka twigs and margaret qualley i love when you guys read like leave me reviews like that because it allow. i don't know i just feel very connected to the audience but what i will say is can you please 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 follow me on instagram it's honestly embarrassing because i have like 2000 listeners but i dead ass have a quarter of those people following me on instagram i promise you my shit is fucking funny and i'm thirsty as hell i need followers because i need to gain traction i do this for free so when i have such little like instagram following it looks like i just like i it's just so much of my time and I need more traction on this shit, you guys. So I'm going to blatantly, unforgivably say, follow my shit, follow my Instagram at xnozall, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It would mean so much to me. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to take you on the next journey. Be sure also to listen to Emily's uh, It's Become a Whole Thing podcast where I feature. Um, and you can listen to it today as well. Okay, bye.